Hey there, and welcome to the Insert Coin Theater podcast, episode 19. We're 19 episodes in. I know we took a little bit of a break there in the middle, but we're back two weeks in a row. We're killing it, y'all. Today, we are going to be talking about Pokemon Sword and Shield, THQ Nordic's big gaff with 8chan, Xbox on Switch, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. We got some really interesting topics today, and I'm pretty excited to go into them. It's very newsy this time, so very topical. I don't have any major philosophical rants to go on outside of the THQ Nordic thing, but it did just happen, so it's the perfect time to talk about it, in my opinion. We're going to go ahead and dive right into that. That said, this is the Insert Coin Theater Podcast. My name is Tim. Let's start the show. All right, let's get to it. There's a lot to cover today. So we're going to start out with Pokemon Sword and Shield. For those of you who are into Pokemon, I know you've heard about this. Pokemon had a big Nintendo Direct, or Pokemon Direct as they called it, to announce the new game. It's well under works. The franchise is now 23 years old as of February 27th, 2019. Happy birthday, Pokemon. I'm very excited that it's that old because I love Pokemon. I have since I was a kid. I've been playing Pokemon forever. So I'm very excited that they're coming out with a new game on the Switch. It is a new game for the main series, meaning it's going to be part of the overall continuity. It's the first one to not be on a solely handheld console. Now, the Switch can be handheld, but... The it's not DS or 3DS. It is it is only on Switch. So that's going to be really interesting to see where that goes and how that pans out for them. I'm very excited because Pokemon is so near and dear to my heart. It's a new region called the Galar region. It's based off of the UK. They have some new starters. They have Grookey, who is a leaf monkey, Score Bunny, who is a fire rabbit, and Sobble, a water lizard, and. Sobble has kind of taken the internet by storm. He looks a little like a depressed little lizard guy. And for some reason, well, I mean, not for some reason, I mean for obvious reasons, the internet seems to be a little obsessed with characters that look depressed, especially cute little animals. And, I mean, there's a lot to be depressed about. (laughs) It's so, so cheery of me to say, but overall, yeah, they're... It's one of those deals that people... Sobble has just taken the internet by storm. He's adorable. Don't get me wrong. I think he's super cute. But, yeah, no, he's he is, like, right now the, the hotness. Scorbunny's super cute. And Grookey is pretty cute, too. I'm not a big fan of monkeys, so I don't think he's that cute. But I think Scorbunny is the one I'm going to go with when the game launches. But Sobble seems to be the uh, the choice right now for the majority of people, it looks like. Personally, I'm all about that score bunny. I like the fire types. I hope it doesn't become a fighting type. He's got a band-aid over his nose, which is leading people to believe that he's going to be a fighting type when he evolves. 
not very excited about that. And fair warning, guys, I get a little nerdy with Pokemon, so please forgive me if you are a casual consumer of the Pokemon games. I'm not super into IVs and EVs and all that crap, but I do love to talk about Pokemon. I love Pokemon in general. So for those who are like super casual consumers or not not consumers of Pokemon at all, please forgive me. I just love the franchise to death. I've been playing Pokemon since I was in elementary school. 1997, I think, is when I got Pokemon Red for my OG Game Boy. Which, yeah, the Game Boy Pocket was out by now, but I had an OG Game Boy. Uh, that was that was what I had. It was it was great though. I loved it. It's a it's a cool console, and it uh, it brought me lots of joy. And I played a lot of games on the OG Game Boy, and I took pretty good care of it. And I've just been playing Pokemon for a very long time. So I've been around the block with the franchise. I have a lot of familiarity with the franchise. And I've played a large chunk of the spinoffs. I've played all of the main games at least a little bit. And I know I've beaten most of them. But uh, And by beaten, I don't mean collect all the Pokemon, but beat the Elite Four. That's To me, that's beaten. So ultimately, that's that's where I stand when it comes to beating the Pokemon games, beating them. And there were a lot of complaints going around about Pokemon in general. And the big complaints were people wondering why the Pokemon games are so popular. And I mean, for me, that's simple. It's because there's a lot to do in them. There's collecting, there is training, there is breeding, there is battling your friends, there is challenge levels in some of the games it's just there's so many things you can do in it. It seems like kind of a moot question for me, ultimately. Yeah, I, I just I really enjoy the franchise. I think the franchise lends itself to a lot of stuff to things to do. It's it's just f- chock full of little stuff that you can do. You can collect all the Pokemon is the big one, and I mean that's what it's been for a while, right? Got to catch them all. That's the whole the whole tagline and you definitely want to collect them all. That's kind of the point. And that's, that's a big reason people like them. I mean, there's what, like almost a thousand of them now, maybe more with this new gen. We don't know. And if there's over a thousand different Pokemon to collect, that's a lot of, lot of stuff to do. And there's just, I don't know. There, there's been a lot of complaints about that and I, I don't get it personally. Take a look at first-person shooters. Like people were complaining, they were very samey. I think that was my big, my big sticking point with this whole whole thing was that people were complaining that it was too samey. Have you seen the Call of Duty franchise? People eat that up every year, and probably more so than Pokemon in some cases. I, I don't know. I just feel like. I feel like the the judgment passes because it's Pokemon and it's it, they haven't really needed to deviate the formula too terribly much. And if they do, they're removing a lot of that familiarity from their core audience. There's a lot of nostalgia for Pokemon. Even with the original games, it's a coming-of-age story. You have your 10-year-old self, your 10-year-old protagonist, who is going off on his or her own for the first time getting away from their parents. I mean, granted, they're 10 years old. Ten, ten, tens, <coughs> excuse me, 10's a little young. But that said, in the Pokemon world, that's normal. But it's a coming-of-age story for 
not just children. It's it's not to it's it's there to make children feel like they can do things on their own and they can accomplish great things, like beating the Elite Four, beating all the gym leaders, collecting huge amounts of Pokemon, breeding them, teaching them new things, learning new things yourself, learning acceptance and tolerance and not to not to let evil win. Things like that, like such important things. And that's remained true since day one. And that familiarity, that nostalgia value itself is such a powerful piece of the puzzle that if you did not understand that nostalgia from the get-go, that's probably why you don't get what makes Pokemon so good. And it's not nostalgia in the sense that like, oh, I played Pokemon, you know, Sun and Moon, making me nostalgic for Pokemon Red and Blue. That's not it. What it is, is it makes you nostalgic for times past, simpler times. And not necessarily just related to the game, but the fact that you're a kid with your parent and going off on your own and learning new things and growing as a human and experiencing things that you haven't experienced yet with your Pokemon companions. In essence, with your trusty puppy by your side, you two are growing up together. It's a coming-of-age story. And that is, in essence the crux of what makes Pokemon so potent for so many my age and the like that, that 22 to 40 age range. And I think it's, I think it's a powerful thing. And if they remove a lot of that nostalgia and that sort of thing, they remove what makes it accessible to new generations. And the idea is as with Pokemon generations, there are generations of children that come into Pokemon and the way that they experience that is through their kid lens me as little Tim, little 10-year-old Tim, 11-year-old Tim, experiencing Pokemon for the first time, that lens is something that I can never recreate, but was so powerful that it stays with me to this day. So I think it's really important to keep that nostalgia value and keep that kind of freeing coming-of-age story intact. And that's what Pokemon does, and that's why it's so samey. But you have new Pokemon, you have new things to collect, and there's always new changes. In this case, you have a full 3D world, which you had in the last 3DS titles, Sun and Moon, Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon. But you also have the fact that it's on the Switch. It's a console-based game you can play on your TV as well as take with you on the go. There's more Pokemon. There's going to be new adventures, new enemies, new things to do and explore and experience. It's helping flush out, flesh out, not flush out, flesh out this world that they've they've been building since, since, since uh, Kanto, and you got Kanto, Johto, Hoenn, Sinnoh, uh, the Orange Islands. You just have all this stuff that's fleshed out in both the games and the anime, and so many things. And this, the Galar region, just adds to it. We've we've already experienced a region like France. We've already experienced a region like. Japan, like the the Northern Island and the, the mainland of Japan, and we're experiencing the UK now, and we've also experienced Alola, which was like Hawaii, so there's a lot of really cool places to see, and it, it gives us that feeling of being foreign and different, but also being familiar and something that we know, and it that all plays into the whole samey concept, but there's reasons for it, and it's to make you feel welcome and that it is a welcoming world. From the time that you start the game and a professor greets you and welcomes you to the wonderful world of Pokemon, you know that 
is for you or not. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I think so many people are so quick to down on it because it's popular and people love it, but people love it for a reason. And I would never yuck on someone's yum about loving first-person shooters, but that sameness is present in FPSs. It's present in a lot of different genres of game. And the point of a sequel is to make it feel similar but different enough that it justifies the purchase. And I feel like Pokemon does that every generation. They nail it every single time. That's just my two cents, though, on it. And I know other people have different opinions on it. And honestly, I would like to hear what you think. So please feel free to shoot me a message on Twitter, like, at me. You can at me. At me. At me, BB. Let me know what you think. Like, do you like the Pokemon games or do you think that they're played out and they're, they're washed out? Like personally, I think they've got, they've still got a lot of life left in them. They're coming up with unique, interesting designs for Pokemon. The, the formula is the same, but every single experience is different enough that it feels justified to me. So what are your thoughts? Let me know. You can, you can add me on Twitter all you want. Insert coin Tim, hit me up. Let me know. Like just at me and be like, yo, you wrong or whatever. I would love to have a discussion with you on it. It'd be really cool to hear your point of view. And it would also be nice to know that people are listening. (laughs) But either way, I think, I think Pokemon Sword and Shield are going to be really cool. I'm very excited about them. And I I'm, I'm team score bunny all day long. Also, let me know what you're looking at. If you're team Sobble, Grookey or score bunny, I think that would be fun, but I don't think that there's any lack of innovation or, or, sameness with this franchise that really makes me feel hesitant to embrace it you know okay so we've got a really really long topic next i don't maybe it's not long i don't know i don't know if it's long maybe i'm just going to go off on a rant and it's going to be a a five minute uh, me going off but we do need to hear from our sponsors so we're going to have a very short break while we hear from our sponsors and we will be right back and we're back Let's talk about THQ Nordic. This is where we get a little heady on the ICT podcast. Episode 19 is no different from the others. (sighs) So here we go. This this one's really tough for me to talk about just because it's such a boneheaded, stupid move. But before I really get off on my, my soapbox rant, the story here is THQ Nordic who is a game publisher who has scooped up a lot of titles and they've published a lot of things. Give me, give me just a second. I'm going to look up what THQ Nordic has published recently because I'm, I'm actually fascinated with some of the stuff that they, they publish. They actually have a lot of really good games that they've published and you may be surprised, especially when you hear this story. So they have published Darksiders three Gianna Sisters Twisted Dreams. What else did they do? Monster Jam Steel Titans. Zoo Tycoon. Super Lucky's Tale. Recor. Titan Quest. Red Faction Gorilla. I mean, just a ton of like huge games. I, it, the whole thing just like boggles my mind that Quantum Break. What else did they do? They, Ori in the Blind Forest? Broken Age? I, this is a little hard for me to process. So so what happened? 
So they held an AMA, an Ask Me Anything. So for those of you who don't know what an Ask Me Anything is, is it's where they hold an open session where people can come and ask questions about any topic they want. They can they can ask questions about the staff. They can ask questions about the work life, about things coming up. And of course, they can choose to answer or not, but ultimately, they usually will answer. They want to try to get as many people interested in their games as possible. Normally, this sort of thing is held on Reddit. And Reddit is a site where there are moderators and there's a level of anonymity, but you can't post as a truly anonymous person. You have to create an account uh, and verify that account before you can really start to post. And sometimes there are requirements about having certain levels of karma, yada, 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 before you can post on certain places. So it can really hone in on keeping horrible people out. But THQ Nordic decided to take a different route and post their AMA on 8chan. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with what the Chan boards are, there's a thing called 4chan, which has been around a very long time, and it's, at this point, relatively benign. It's It used to be the home of lol random kids and trolls. People would use that as a place to gather, troll each other, go raid Twitch streamers and and be mean to them as a group, yada, yada, yada. Overall, they were pretty benign. I mean, you would have your, your spats of terrible people, but overall, they tended to try to avoid them. So things like child pornography and stuff like that was removed and shunned, thankfully. Well... 8chan is the place where the people that couldn't make it on 4chan ended up. So imagine the cream of the crop of the bad. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, like 4chan is relatively benign. I know I, I literally know a lot of people who used to frequent their slash B board, which is their random board. And throughout, you know, back in the day, that was an acceptable place to spend your time and hang out. I never did. I never was interested in it because I thought they were a bunch of trolls and kind of kind of dicks. That was just kind of where I stood. But 8chan is uh, not a good place. And for some godforsaken, inexplicably stupid reason, THQ Nordic decided to hold their AMA on 8chan. What? Uh, I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Oh, boy. So... Pretty much what happened is they went to this place, opened up this 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 AMA, posted about it on Twitter, and every games journalist, every normal human that knows what 8chan is went, what? And THQ Nordic was like, yeah, we don't know why we're doing this, but we're doing it, lols. Look at us. We're super quirky and edgy. Look how awesome we are. And so they go in there. If you go to 8chan, one of the first things at the top, is, there are there are homophobic slurs, there are transphobic slurs, um, there is there there is what is in essence child pornography. There, there are lewd pictures of what is quite obviously underage anime girls on them. I am an anime connoisseur of sorts. I think anime girls are adorable and cute. Age is hard to tell with anime girls, especially some animes where they're like, yeah, she's 18, but she like legitimately she she's got like the body build of like an 11 year old. It happens fairly frequently. That said, these are quite clearly depictions that are 
intended to be utilized by those people who are less desirable in society. And I don't know why I'm trying to be delicate. Child pornographers are pieces of human filth. They are garbage. That said, some people genuinely don't know. They're still garbage. Be careful with what you do. I, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm just scratch that. That I didn't even say that. They are garbage. It's quite obvious. There's a saying: "Don't lewd the lowlies." Now, lowlies are a reference to underage-looking girls or very young-looking girls in anime, that sort of thing. And there, there's a there's a phrase called lolicon, who are people who are really into that to a sexual nature. Okay, so bear with me for a minute here. So the phrase don't lewd the lolis comes from the people who like the, the pictures of anime girls in general where they may look young, but they're wearing full clothing like a cute dress or, you know, a cute shirt or, you know, clothes. They're clothed. That's the important part here. They're they are not naked. They are not sexualized. It's just cute. I like cute pictures. Not necessarily of lolis, but in general, right? Okay, so let's. I have established the baseline for what a loli is, and not looting said lolis. Looting the lolis is when they are nude, when they are engaged in sexual or adult behavior. That's where the problem comes in, and this was actually a saying that originated from the circles that I had kind of followed a little bit on Tumblr. So, if you're curious as to where my, my background is, I mean, Tumblr gets everywhere. And I, I follow a lot of gifers, people who make gifts from animes. So they just like, they just clip a gif and it, they're often reaction gifs. They're hilarious and awesome. And you can use them just about in any context you want as a response to what people say. I do that a lot. But a lot of those gifers also spoke of the same thing because there was a big purge on Tumblr for a while of removing that those that appear underage engaged in sexual acts. And so the mantra became don't lewd the lowlies. And yes, I agree with that hundred percent because it gets weird. Otherwise that said, these people lewd the lowlies massively. So that is what they do. They are doing that actively. So they, in, in my book, child porn, child pornography, knowingly underage, anime characters engaged in adult activity. The argument that they there's no way to tell age is still iffy because generally speaking, the smaller their bodies get, the younger they are. And there are some exceptions, but they are rarely in adult depictions. Okay, so we've said that. We've gotten that. So that is one of the things that is happening on 8chan. So I kind of went off on a tangent, but I wanted to give you guys some background on what lowly pornography is and how, how that ties into child pornography. Okay, so the platform is shared by not just the dregs of pedophilia, but also white supremacists, uh, racists, Oh my goodness, lots of other things. I mean, just like the dregs of society, the people you would not want to associate with in any meaningful way are on this platform. So the THQ staff, the, the only reason that this is a problem is THQ staff were actively engaged in the conversation. One of the first things that was said in the AMA was Heil, you know, and it was too... 
Adolf Hitler himself. So that said, there you go. He, that should have been their red flag. The minute that happened, they should have said, we're done. Because you can't delete them. There's no moderation here. It's all anonymous posters. It's 100% anonymity. And people use that as their way of espousing their racist, hateful, disgusting beliefs. The worst part was... (laughs) The THQ staff were replying to some of these. <laughs> this is where it gets funny. So this, the phrase I'm about to say is a little adult, but this is a quote of what was said. Somebody posted a picture of some what appeared to be very underage girls with large breasts and put, where the big titty lolies at? <laughs> and the image was pretty rough. It, was, it didn't have any nudity, but it was pretty rough. Here's where it got me. If they had ignored it, maybe not so bad, but a THQ staffer actually replied to that person and said, you got them already, we'd say. Oh, what? What are you doing? I, oh my God, it's not even contextual at that point. Like you're literally like supporting what they're doing. You're, there is no remorse here. There is no what have we done? It's we are engaging in with this community that is full of less than desirable people. And that is the, that is the bed they made and wanted to lie in. I I just, I'm, I'm, I'm still at a loss. There are a lot of doxers there. There's a lot of racism there. There's a lot of like a heavy population of people who do swattings on uh, Twitch streamers are there. It was de- the site was delisted from Google for God's sake. It was ba- it was blacklisted from Google because of child pornography. It, that should tell you plenty of things because there's a lot of crap on Google that you can find that's pretty damn sketchy. Well, the THQ Nordic PR guy, I don't even remember his name. I don't, I'm not going to look it up because honestly. I just, I don't know if I care right now because I'm still flabbergasted this even happened. And he said he didn't do his due diligence. (laughs) If you punch 8chan into Google, you'll find a Wikipedia page and one of the first links under it is child pornography. (laughs) Like it actually lists out the the scandal behind it. (laughs) I'm just, I am just... My mind is boggled at the entirety of this situation, and I just, I don't know. I just, to, to say I didn't do my due diligence is inexcusable here, and I, I'm just, I'm amazed. I legitimately are. So, there are a lot of people defending THQ Nordic's move, obviously, because HN is full of uh, weirdos and a lot of scumbags. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say they are all weirdos and scumbags, but I mean, if you frequent the, the most disgusting dens of iniquity, you're, I mean, you're, you're associating yourself to an extent with that. And if that's what it's known for, you should be very careful with how you associate yourself with things because, uh, image is everything. And it's very important to know that there's watch lists out there. And if you visit that site frequently enough, you're probably on multiples. Just saying. Anyways, so the uh, argument is uh, that there are quote unquote pedophiles on all platforms. And they're saying that, oh, right here on Twitter, there's pedophiles, yada, yada, yada. <sighs> so 
this actually is a logical fallacy that they're they're putting on us. And I like to call these out because uh, the defense, rather than saying, yeah, we got a lot of crap, but we're trying to clean it up, they just point the finger. And it's called the association fallacy. And it's guilt by association or honor by association. Arguing that because two things share or are implied to share the some property that they are the same. So because there are pedophiles on 8chan, which they did not deny, they didn't deny it, but there are pedophiles on Twitter, they're the same exact thing. <sighs> Anyways, it's it's a really it's a really silly argument, but it's a way of deflecting and putting the people making the claim on their toes rather than actually giving a solid defense and a meaningful reply. They are much, it's much easier to just deflect and say, Oh, well you have pedophiles on your platform and put the person on the defensive. Simple as that. That's just how it is. That's how it works. And it's not a good defense. Achan is a den of iniquity. It's a land of gross and they need to clean it up, but they have no interest in cleaning it up because that is where they choose to make their bed and lay in it. And THQ Nordic decided to cast their lot with that bunch. And as such, they were rightfully lambasted. There is no defense for them. They apologized and said they weren't trying to be edgy, which is a load of tosh. They All they had to do was just do a 10-second Google and they would have avoided it. Just use Reddit. What's wrong with using Reddit? There's nothing wrong with Reddit. And this is so out of the out of the blue because I mean, 8chan is like it's not even on people's radar. It's not that big of a site. Like Reddit would be where you go to have your AMA. It's where people would be. It's where people would hang out. It's where people would ask meaningful, useful questions and not just spew Hitler propaganda and child pornography. So that said, THQ Nordic uh, today, I think their CEO listed uh, gave a, an apology. I still don't think they need to get a pass here. I think until they they completely dump their PR, um, we should keep their feet to the fire. Uh, in my in my vote, their PR team royally screwed up, and I can tell you right now that in any normal world, uh, a head would be rolling. But this is upside down, topsy turvy universe world where uh, the worst, most loud, obnoxious gamers have the loudest voice and are listened to more often, uh, obviously, because uh, they went to the hive of loudness, that is 8chan, and gave them an AMA and encouraged their vile, foul behavior. That said, THQ Nordic, you're not off the hook, guys. I'm sorry, but not sorry. End of story. You guys have dug your grave here, and I think that it's going to take all of the backpedaling in the world because what you have done is you've emboldened the people of 8chan, those those folks that will now defend you tooth and nail, who have been going around attacking games journalists for even reporting on this whole issue, and you have pretty much mobilized and militarized a group of radicals, a group of extremists, people who are okay with child pornography, people who are okay with neo-Nazism, people who are okay with white supremacy and racism and homophobia and transphobia. You, you have emboldened these people that they have an ally in the business world, in the gaming world, to back them up. You should be condemning their behavior instead of just saying, oops, we messed up. No, that's not okay. That's not how this works. You guys totally missed the mark here. This is your fault, and you guys need to 
wallow in the muck that you have laid before yourselves. That's my two cents. I don't know about you, though. If you have another take, just let me know. Like, I'd like to hear it. I don't want to fight over it. I don't want to, like, if you're if you're going to troll me, I legitimately, I'm not afraid to hit that block button. But if you want to have a real discussion, please let me know. Feel free to at me on Twitter. Same as always, insert coin Tim. But, again, I will not stand for pedophilia. I will not stand for racism. I will not stand for white supremacy. So if you bring any of that up or defend it in any way, I will tell you that you are defending it and you will be removed from the conversation. And yeah, it might sound harsh, but uh, I am not one of those people that feels like racists should have an opinion. They don't get a right to have an opinion. You start stepping on the toes of other people's rights and hurting others. uh, You don't deserve any freedoms. You, You should be punished for that. But that's just my two cents. I'm rambling a bit now. (laughs) So that said, please just let me know what you think. And uh, we are going to go to our next sponsored segment. So thank you guys for uh, bearing with me there. We will be back in just a moment for Xbox on Switch and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order after this break. We are back, and we are going to be talking about some big news that came through just a little while ago. Xbox and Nintendo, Microsoft and Nintendo, getting into bed together, and not in a sexy way. So, there has been some apparent news that Xbox Live services will be coming to Switch. What does this mean? Can mean a lot of things. We don't have a lot of detail yet, but it's a very exciting prospect. With how open Nintendo and Microsoft have been to cross-play and being able to play with others on the same platform, does this mean that Xbox Game Pass is coming to Switch? Does this mean that you'll be able to stream or play Xbox games on your Switch? What does it mean? It means it means that Sony has some catching up to do and I'm not fanboying here. So understand I got no horse in the race. I don't care which platform does better. I have all, all three of the major platforms. I have a a switch. I have a PS4 and I have an Xbox and they're, they're all OG hardware. So it's not like I have like a PS4 plus and just a regular Xbox or an Xbox X and uh, a PS4. None of that. It's all, it's all, you know, the same gen type stuff. With that said, I also play PC games, so from my standpoint, I don't care what what platform it's on as long as it's fun and it's playable. That's all I care about. Now, let's talk about Xbox and Switch cuz Sony Sony's behind now. They 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 were hesitant to embrace the crossplay kind of revolution that came through thanks to Fortnite and Rocket League and all these other things. So, with that and Minecraft as well. And with that said, Sony is probably going, oh my God, because when it comes to the quote unquote console wars, it hasn't been a thing for a while. What is what's important in this console generation and the next generation as well isn't console sales, it's money made, whether it be through online services, through streaming services, through rental type services, through games as a service with uh, microtransactions, that sort of stuff is what matters. The console sales will be, in my opinion, will start to really be the low point and will start measuring things by um, by money made and not necessarily money 
not necessarily consoles sold or units moved. I think Microsoft sees this. I think what they realize is that by going to the by going to Nintendo and maybe enabling people to play Xbox games on the Switch, if they get Game Pass on there, they're going to make a lot of money because there's a lot of exclusive games on Game Pass that you can't get on Switch yet and vice versa. So people want to play Switch stuff on their Switch, but playing Xbox games on the go is unheard of and awesome. I think that sounds really sweet. What's really cool is actually somebody just uh, uh, recently hacked Windows 10 onto a Nintendo Switch. So the hardware actually does work. That's a good sign. That means that, who knows, maybe we'll be able to have a dual boot console with our Switch or something and be able to play Xbox games, maybe at lower resolutions or settings, but now that we have the OG Xbox, Xbox One X kind of thing, and we have the differences between the regular 1080 and the the, the 4K, resolutions and settings are variable now. <laughs> that means that maybe things can run on the Switch at the 900p that it runs at. I don't know. Who knows? I'm just really excited to see how all this works and pans out because having Xbox on the Switch would be super duper cool. Being able to play a Halo game with your friends while on the go or laying in bed, (laughs) you tell me. (laughs) I think that would be slick. Playing Halo Infinite with your buddies, you know, friend on an Xbox, friend on a PC, friend on a Switch, that's... That seems pretty insane to me. And can you imagine how well Game Pass would do? I mean, from what I've heard, Game Pass is doing extremely well and making a lot of money and really smart moves. Releasing games like Crackdown 3, um, Sea of Thieves and the like on the Game Pass was a really good move. It was a really intelligent thing for them to do. They've brought in a lot of people who wanted to subscribe to Game Pass just for those games to play with their friends. And they've made money off of it. Good money. They've made bank, baby. And that's the important thing. And I just, I am, I I predict that the game industry will move from console units moved. And I mean, they'll still have it as a metric, I'm sure. But I think the primary driver will be services, money from services made or money from, you know, microtransactions or something along those lines. Because... Imagine um, something like Anthem, if that had come out on Game Pass, for example, rather than EA Premiere or whatever. Just just work with me here. Anthem comes out on Game Pass. With the microtransactions they have, people get the game on Game Pass, and they spend the 8 bucks, 850 on an armor kit, or on every armor kit, and then they play with friends on the Switch and on the Xbox and on the PC. That is power. Because the amount of... The more places that your friends can play together, that people can play together, the more money you're likely to make because people will want to engage in that game together. I think that's powerful because games as a as a, sorry games as a service is a really important step in the evolution of gaming. It's not necessarily a great thing, and a lot of people aren't very excited about that. But I think it it has promise because online games have long needed that sort of thing where the release schedule isn't just the game comes out and then you release a map pack here and a map pack there. It's an evolution of a game over a period of time. That's a powerful thing. That's amazing to me. And I think ultimately when you're looking at games as a service, you need to have that ability to stretch to every platform at once because once you start 
removing that, you fragment your audience and you fragment your player base. And so somebody on an, a Switch can't play with somebody on an Xbox and they go, well, I don't play this game so much anymore. And then you're missing out on potential microtransaction sales. So as you add cool new armor sets and things like that, you're missing out on those sales. Whereas if people are hooked and playing together, like look at how like Destiny 2 is. The people that play it together are hardcore, man. They are dedicated. But the amount of people that still play Destiny 2 compared to maybe at launch is probably a very small fraction, meaning that you are way less open to gaining those microtransaction sales and money off of it. So I don't know. I just think that it's a smart move to enable crossplay and to focus on games as a service for your online play and not necessarily all games being online, you know, as a service, but being able to play those games, even if they're single player solo experiences is a good thing. It's a great thing for gamers. And I think it's a really exciting time to be a gamer just because of that. And I think, I think the, the real power here is that as, as gamers, we're going to be given way more options for places to play our games because if you can only afford one console, if you can't afford a PC, you're going to want to be able to play with your friends however you can. And if a game like Anthem comes out on the Xbox cross-play compatible with PC and Switch, wow, suddenly your whole world is opened up because you can play that brand new shiny game with your friends. What? I don't know. I'm just I think it's I think it's a very very cool thing. I think the future is very bright for games and with games as a service I think it really does make a difference. All right. Now, the last topic before we end is a topic very near and dear to my heart. Star Wars game coming soon. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is coming is going to have a reveal in, at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago on April 13th. So EA and Respawn will hold a special panel and go into more detail about the game. Apparently, the game has us meet a Padawan who survived Order 66 and explores the galaxy. Uh, and it's in the time after the fall of the Jedi Order. So after Episode 3, before Episode 4. So in that period, the Clone Wars era, the uh, the Rebellion era type thing, where the Rebellion is blossoming and starting uh, to, to exist. So, the excitement there is we don't know much about it yet. Is this going to be a single-player experience? Knowing EA, probably not. The hope is that it will have a heavy single-player experience, because it's coming from Respawn, and Respawn are the folks who made Titanfall. And Titanfall, while it has a great multiplayer experience, Titanfall 2 has one of the best, shortest, sweet single-player experiences I think I have ever ever seen. It's so much fun. It was really well-created, well-crafted, well-paced. And honestly, it was just beautiful all around. Uh, and the game, the game didn't do well because of the release of Battlefield 1 at the same exact time that the game launched which was a baffling play by EA. They kind of killed their own launch for some reason, which made no sense. But that said, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order looks to be something that I am very interested in because of, because of Respawn's pedigree, because of how well they can tell a story, and how good of a game they can craft. Will this be a KOTOR-esque type RPG? Doubtful. Um, the rumor is that this game is going to come out at the end of 2019, so we may see it this year. 
But my hunch is is that it will probably will will more than likely see this as a probably as a single player game, but mostly multiplayer focused. I don't know though. Hopefully, it's not another Battlefront because I'm and it won't be a Battlefront, but like the same kind of like experience as Battlefront. I'm just kind of burnt out on the whole Battlefront premise right now. They have kind of dropped the ball twice. I really have not been a massive fan of the two Battlefront games. They haven't been bad, but they haven't been great either. And with the whole microtransaction debacle, I'm hopeful EA will learn their lesson here and that they will correct this and maybe not do quite so bad on the MTX. Maybe no loot boxes, maybe purchasable stuff. I mean, if Anthem's any indicator, Anthem... Anthem's not doing amazingly, but it's gaining momentum, and people seem to really genuinely be enjoying it. So my hope is is that Fallen Order will encompass the best of Star Wars, and maybe we'll see something like what we were hopefully going to see um, with 1313 when they canned it, which was supposed to be you were a bounty hunter, and it was supposed to be dark and gritty and all that. So I'm doubtful we'll have a very dark, gritty experience because it seems like Disney and EA really want to sugarcoat this a lot and make it very kid-friendly. Not this game specifically, but the franchise in general. And I don't say that as a negative, but I feel like Disney's probably been making a lot of money off of their cartoons that they've been doing with Clone Wars and The Resistance, and then there was another one that just came out, I think. And I feel like they're probably making a buttload of money off of toy sales and things like that. So my hunch is, is that Disney is not going to want this to be super gritty, which is part of the reason I think they can 1313. But my hunch is is that it's going to be an action-adventure title, kind of like the Jedi Knight series, if you remember those. Uh, Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Academy was a great game, and you went around, and the lightsaber combat was really fun, but there was also first-person shooting elements and uh, crazy force abilities and stuff like that. Or maybe it'll be in the same kind of vein as The Force Unleashed, where it's kind of that, that deal, like, I love the Force Unleashed games. I don't know about you, but I really thoroughly enjoyed Starkiller's story. I enjoyed how strong he was and the visceral feeling of the Force abilities, like Force Lightning and things like that. Now, if you're playing a Jedi, a Jedi that is true to the the Order, I guess, Uh, you won't be using a whole lot of the dark side force powers, lightning, choke, etc. However, if it's a Padawan, my hope is is that maybe we'll have the option. Maybe it will be RPG-esque. And that's kind of what I'm hopeful for, because being a Padawan means you can go either way. You're not a dedicated Jedi Knight. You are not fully trained. You're not a fully qualified wizard, as it were. Uh, Hashtag Harry Potter reference. Ultimately, I think... I think that... If this does end up being an RPG type thing, I don't think it'll be as deep as KOTOR, but it might be uh, an action adventure with with RPG elements and maybe a branching storyline. That's my that's my theory. I'm just throwing it out there. I have no sources, none of that stuff. I'm just going by the name, the what little info we have now, and what my hopes are. Kind of combining them into one, uh, uh, you know hope bubble that may be burst by EA and just and just be gone and it's a possibility I'm I'm not going to put it past EA but it does seem like this is going to come out thank goodness because I I need a Star Wars game somebody's got to do something with the franchise and EA has been sitting on it and twiddling their thumbs for years 
and they've had plenty of time. They've come out with two Star Wars games in the meanwhile to come up with a game or two that really hit home and are home runs. And they haven't done anything with the franchise. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's Disney's fault or if that's EA's fault for not really capitalizing on the franchise like they should. There's just so much to do in the Star Wars universe, and it makes no sense to me not to release five, six games in a a five-year period. Like, with how many studios EA has, it makes zero sense to me. It's a very very silly kind of proposition from my where I sit. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for the ICT podcast today. I'm grateful that you spent the last 48, 50 minutes or whatever with me. It, it, it really means a lot to me. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you for spending any amount of time listening to me babble about whatever it is I babble about. Let me go ahead and read my little outro spiel, and uh, we will go ahead and end the, the podcast today. The ICT podcast is written by me and produced by me, Tim. Insert Coin Theater is more than just this podcast. It's a it's also live streams multiple times during the week at mixer.com slash insertcointheater. And above that, it's also a vibrant and inclusive community on Discord at discord.gg slash ICT. If you'd like to support my efforts monetarily and help my content creations effort content creation efforts become a full-time gig, that was a, a mouthful. Check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash ICT. I'd like to give a huge thanks to Andy B, the Arcade Master level supporter, and the three other Patreon supporters for helping keep this podcast alive and kicking. If you're unable to support monetarily, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. The positive reviews will help bring new listeners to the podcast and will help the show grow in a meaningful way. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or you wish to connect with me, please visit me on Twitter at twitter.com slash insertcointim on Facebook at fb.com slash insertcointheater, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash insertcointheater. And of course, theater is spelled the way we Americans spell it, E-R and not R-E at the end. My DMs on Discord are always open, so if you want to reach out to me, you can DM insertcointheater, hashtag 6969, and the ICT podcast intro that you heard was created by the amazing... Ben Burns, also known as Abstraction. So you can check out his music at abstractionmusic.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.